Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo, and hello everybody, Mike here. Welcome to another episode of the golden age of cardboard podcast i'm your host this week every week welcome to the show today is going to be fun we are going to talk about a topic that that's just kind of nostalgic and i've got a guest on he is a relative regular on the show i might as well give him a partnership stake in the show but i i wanted to talk first like we're in the midst of playoff baseball it's so much fun it's kind of Who's going to make a name for themselves as the next legend? We will kind of see how this all unfolds. But, uh, yeah, it's just a great time to be a baseball fan. And that got me thinking about the past. And thinking through the past, you always think, what was it like at the beginning? And and for a lot of us in the hobby, you know, some of you guys might actually be in what I'll define and what we're going to discuss today, those formative years, those years when you get started right and it's hard to beat something that's so new so fresh like the hobby was for me uh back in the day and like for my guest but we're going to talk through that a little bit what was our experience like and maybe uh give you guys some insight to it let me bring them on right now donnie livestream don field of dreams cards what's up man what's up mike how you doing man this is i believe your 13th show on golden age of cardboard so yep i'm two behind uh george diamond yard sports cards so i'm trying to catch him (laughs) trying to catch him we will do it uh one episode at a time i appreciate you and your friendship and in the hobby because you and i are very kindred spirits uh it it is interesting how we kind of surround ourselves by a lot of like-minded people in the hobby, but at the same time, I have lots of friends that collect very differently than me too, right? Um, and you probably do as well. Yep, absolutely. Although I have to admit, more of them are the vintage, more collect like me than <laughs> don't, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, we kind of like those guys better, don't we? Now, um, let me ask you, first of all, why are you wearing a Dodgers hat? You're a Why am I wearing fan. a Dodgers hat? Okay, I got this hat for free. Okay. And I went to get a haircut today and I just threw a hat on because I didn't shower or anything before I went and got the haircut. And we were in New York City at the MLB store and my son bought a shirt. And because he spent like $3,000 on this darn shirt, we got a free hat. And I've got a million pirate hats. I really want a Brooklyn Dodgers hat. It was just like, I don't know, I like blue. I'm just It's free, what the hell. So that's right. why I have it on today. And I'd like to piss Rick oddball cards off too. So. <laughs> well, I thought you were just going with at least some team that made the playoffs, the Dodgers. So, Oh, baseball still being played? 
it is. I know yeah. Pirates fans aren't used to that after October 1st, but. No, we're not. Even yeah. we drove by the stadium last night. My wife's like, are the Pirates playing tonight? I'm like, no. <laughs> not not till April. <laughs> <laughs> not till April. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of. I, I'm happy the Rangers are in the playoffs. I'm. You, you should know, be. We'll see. I, I'm still disappointed they didn't win the division. I thought they totally choked that away. And uh, so I'd really love to be not playing right now and waiting to find out who our next opponent is after the wild card series. Right. But so I'm going to ask you, this is a non-related baseball question. I don't know if you've ever known this, but Mike McCarthy, your coach. Cowboys, Cowboys. coach. Yeah. His brother was my teammate in college. Really? Joey McCarthy. Mike's from Pittsburgh. And, uh, and unfortunately, Joey passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, Mike has held a golf outing every year for him in Pittsburgh, and, and I've gone to it. And he is the nicest guy. Really? For, yeah, he, he's just so humble. And he's just like, oh, I remember that team. You guys were pretty good. And, and I remember when Joe, Joey was my teammate, he's like, yeah, my brother's like the assistant kickers coach at East Kansas State or you know, something like that. It's like, okay, whatever, Joe. But now he's Mike McCarthy, crazy. Super Bowl champion. Yeah, he beat the Steelers. And hopefully another Super Bowl champion is what I'm hoping for. Yeah, well, th- you have one player I like, and that's Micah Parsons, because he's a Penn State guy. Dude, Micah <laughs> is a beast. And you had Sean Lee. He was a beast in college, too. He sat yeah. out his last year, or his junior year, during COVID. He didn't yeah, even play. I'm so glad he didn't, because yeah. that gave him that many more snaps for us. You're right. Absolutely. You know? Um. Well, okay. that's cool that we're talking football. Yeah, I mean, it is football <laughs> season. I did get, you know, last week's episode, after talking with Keating, you know, people people are craving a vintage football podcast. I just don't know who to do it. I don't know who to ask to do it. Because it ain't me. Either. No, it's not me either. Um, I mean, Brad, 7, 6, whatever. 86, 71, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's kind of Dolphins. But then you got Ray, who picked um, Bart and Scotty Traditions. I mean, those guys seem to know a lot. There's got to be more. Good. There's got to be a whole part of this hobby that talks about that that I just don't follow. I well, according think. to the feedback I got, there's a large void of a podcast slash video series that talks through vintage football. And I think that would be... That's something that's probably needed in the hobby. Terry, TJ Mack, collects a lot of old football, too. He does. But we're going to talk about baseball because that's you and I's That's what we do. That's what we do. Um, Okay. Formative years. If you were to think, okay, what what defines what formative years are? Would you say it's like maybe your first five years in the hobby, first decade in the hobby? What what would be kind of formative? For me, well, it's not even 10 years. It's from 1976 to 1983. Okay. In that period, I went from being nine years old to 15, 16. You know, maybe freshman year, sophomore year of high school, and then I was done. It wasn't cool anymore. As we've all said, there were other interests. And I got off it. Um, And and, and for me, it's funny because I... Everyone says, you know, 79 back or maybe 80 back is vintage. For me, it's 83. And it's just for me, just because that's when I collected. And, you know, when I started in 76, those cars weren't vintage. They are right. now. But they were, sure. I, I bought those packs and opened them up. So in my mind, vintage starts at 83. Or not starts, ends at 83. Just because it's my 
formative years, like you said. And you could e you could easily say that we that was pre. Most people like to finish it either a pre junk junk wax era or pre uh, Fleer and Donruss coming on the scene, right? That, that's what that's why that wine exists there, right? And I, I, it, it can be a moving target. I think I don't I don't know that we need to pigeonhole. Yeah, and I was buying Fleer and what was the other one you said? I just went blank. Donruss. Donruss. Not so much Donruss, but I bought a lot of Fleer. It's a long time ago, man. <laughs> this other small company called Donruss. I don't know. Yeah. Um, when I think of what formative means, it's kind of this idea, this, I think, different for every person idea of, man, this is what, I, this is how I learned. I cut my teeth. I, I made mistakes, right? Those formative years, whether it's in your, think about your career or, uh, just mainly probably your career would be a great, great analogy. We all screw up. We realize later how much we didn't know. You know, you look, you can only really define your formative years through experience, through getting on the other side of it and looking back going, yeah, I didn't know Jack Diddley about anything. <laughs> Absolutely. And maybe you can say that about your marriage. Like, man, I didn't even know how to be married those first few years. I was an idiot, you know, and now you're just, at least you know you're an idiot now. We right. are all still idiots in our marriages. But the formative years for me in the hobby were starting in 81, probably through 86, 87. Um, that's when I really cut my teeth and learned. And far from new everything, still don't. I'm, you know, 40 right. whatever years in. You're 50, you know, almost 50 years into the hobby. Good gosh. That's crazy, right? Yeah, almost, like late 40. Yeah, like yeah. 47, 40 years. Now, it hasn't been consistent like yours, but I've still always had a love for cards. I just didn't always collect them. Well, I, I'm, I'm trying to redefine what a collector is for people because I think it's important to say, like, after 83, did you throw your cards away? No. They were just in the closet, right? Yeah, I'm going to show you some of them. I, I've so, never thrown a card away. So you still were a collector yeah i don't think it mean i don't think being a collector means you have to be buying cards consistently to be a collector until you get I, never, I never thought of it that way that, that you still had them so technically you were still right. collecting them right and that's cool so, i don't have to say i ever quit yes i totally <laughs> agree with that you just say i took a break from buying maybe right that would be yeah. accurate but to say you stopped collecting them is not true because you still had them. If you sold them all off or gave them away or threw them away, then you would have taken a break. That's taking right. a break. And I think we all have those periods where we can't buy as much or whatever. That's, um, that's really interesting. I, I never thought of that that way. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. That's really cool. I'm being serious on that. That's that's a great way of thinking about it. Well, once every six years, I have a good thought. So well, I just blew it on that. At least one. you got that going for you. Yeah. Um, okay. So during those formative years, I want to ask mm -hmm. you some questions. We can, I think, both tell our experience with these issues. But obviously, for most everybody, even if you're in your formative years now, which like there are, are the some guys in the hobby that aren't. Yeah. Exactly. We all open packs. Yeah. Right? That that's like how you start. I think that's what hooks us into the hobby is all of us open packs. And you mentioned you started in 1976. What a great year uh, 
to start opening packs. Yep. Was it a weekly thing for you guys? Was it a you and your brothers, you and your friends? How did that work? Yeah, so it was it was our friends in the neighborhood. My one brother, my my three older brothers are quite a bit older than me. I mean, they were like in college when I was nine years old. So, but my my younger brother's only a year older than me, and and I've told this story before, but um, I didn't collect cards. And I was riding my bicycle across the street of my neighbor's house, and I wrecked the bike, and I ended up tearing my knee up and getting 15 stitches. And the woman, I was nine years old, across the street, whose house it was, brought me a CeeLo pack of Topps cars. I was like, wow, oh, these are kind of cool. Dave, I remember Dave Parker was in that pack, and I wasn't a huge baseball fan. I thought Dave Parker was white. Okay. Sounded like a white guy's name to me, <laughs> like Dave Parker, and I'm not throwing anything in the fire here. It's just as a nine-year-old thought. Yeah. And then when I saw that card, I was like, wow, who knew? And from there, I just, I don't know why or how I just fell in love with cards. And um, we had a store called Murphy's Mart. It's kind of like a Target today, back in the day. And my mom would take us up there and they were a quarter. We'd go through the CeeLo packs looking for pirates. We didn't care if Hank Aaron was in there, Rod Grew, we wanted pirates. We look for those cards. I don't re really remember buying the wax packs. But going back to your question, I doubt it was weekly. You know, my mom kind of snuck it in. My dad was very anti spending money on things he thought was wasteful. You know, he was a depression kid, and but my mom would let us buy them. So I'm may maybe twice a month, maybe more, but I don't think it was consistently every week. And then we would trade with the neighborhood kids, would flip them. And uh, one of the cool things about my mom, my mom always snuck things in away from my dad. Like when he'd go to work, she'd take us out to get donuts and milk at this one restaurant she liked. And to this day, she's almost 90. She still loves going out to eat. But the rule was we couldn't tell our dad that she took us out. So every once in a while, he'd have a business trip or they were in this bowling league, they'd go away and our aunts and uncles would watch us. And my mom would slip in a pack in our suitcase to my brother and I, and we'd open up our suitcase when I got to my aunt and uncles, and there was a pack in 1976 tops. So, you know, it, it's like my mom doesn't know anything about baseball, could care less, but just the, you know, that's what moms do. They love their sons. And, and she knew that my brother and I loved this and she always hooked us up. And, cool. and that's a great memory I have with these cards, you know, I still have the ones I bought, at least some of them. Some might be my brothers. I don't know. They got mixed up. But, um, you know, my mom is part of my formative years of card collecting, and that's kind of cool. Where did you store your cards after you would open a pack? Just cigar boxes. My dad smoked these cigars called Marsh Wheeling and just stuff like that. I didn't have binders. and But I knew as a 9 or 10, 11-year-old that I'm like, hold on to these cards. They're going to be worth something someday. But what people didn't tell me was they kind of have to be in decent condition. Right. <laughs> Which fun they're not. So they're not worth anything except sentimental value. Um, That's sometimes the best value. Yeah. And I pulled a couple here just to show you. Like, I know I pulled these from packs. Diesel Cooper, 76. And Harry. Yeah, Rasmussen. they look they look like you pulled them from a pack. Well, it gets better. Okay. And actually, I like this card because this guy ended up naming himself Eric later on. Changed Eric Rasmussen. But, you know, these aren't my brother's cards. Got the D on it. Got so the D. you wrote 
D, you wrote a D just so we could just on every single one. Don's card. Okay. Yeah. There's one for you, Mike Rangers cards. You know, nice. this is what you did back then. Yeah. You, you checked the checklist. You yeah. Yeah. So these cards aren't worth a darn, but I'm like, you know, they're not my brother's cards. <laughs> Do you so. remember trying to actively complete a set? Um, back then, yeah, we did. And, and it's funny, like for us, you know, the Pirates were the players to get. They were hard to get because everyone was looking through those CeeLo packs, looking for them. And um, and just trading with the guys. And I was always jealous of this one kid down the street. His mom would buy him boxes of cards. So he had just tons of packs. And I was like, you know, this kid sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> we get one pack every two weeks, and this kid's freaking getting boxes of them. But, well, but it's I funny, the girl, even the girls in the street would buy the cards. Like, you know, because it was different back then. Like, I look at my son. He's, there's a kid who lives across the street, same age as him. They don't hang out at all. We were all different ages. We could be, it was like a five or six year different span. We just hung out and we all had cards and we'd trade them and flip them. And well, we have to fix something right now. You keep calling it a CeeLo pack, it's a cello pack. Okay. It's not CeeLo Green, the, the rap artist. You know, it's a cello pack. And it's Don Russ, not Don Russ, right? <laughs> yes. But <laughs> I've heard people say that. But cello like rhymes with jello. So all right. I'm, look, man, I'm just trying to help you out. Yes. Yeah, appreciate it. I'll go before the life with that. Thanks. I don't want the comments to just start wailing on you. That would be not good. Oh, all right. So I could never afford CeeLo packs, just uh cello packs back <laughs> We would my mom back then, and this may have been true even in the late seventies, but cards were at seven eleven at every every nickel and dime store had cards you could buy packs of cards pretty much everywhere that sold anything um and so we would i would always ask my mom for a pack you know right. or two or five or whatever and again we came from relative you know where money was not tight but just being frivolous on sports cards sure. seemed really right. dumb to my dad and so my mom did the same thing. She would buy us packs and we'd you know, take them to our room and we'd open them up, you know, and I would lay out all the cards by team. I would, I would um, organize them by team for whatever reason. I wanted all the Rangers, just like you wanted all the pirates. I think that's a very natural thing for any collector that you collect your hometown team or your favorite team or whatever, which is funny because my mom's favorite team was the Yankees. And uh, yeah, that Bobby Richardson card she has. Exactly. She, she was a Yankees fan, but that was because when she was growing up, the Rangers didn't exist. There right. was no team in Texas. And so we were either a Cardinals fan or a Yankees fan. And is that she because just, Mantle was from Oklahoma? Kind of close. No, no, I think her dad was the Yankees fan. So it's it's very familial, right? I think right, right. you can definitely pass down a love for a team. Absolutely. Without any direct connection yourself, but if your parents loved them or your grand grandpa always talked about this team or whatever, it's easy to to also love that team. But the Rangers were around. Rangers were born in 1972. I was born in 1973. So I'm I'm uh, as much grew up with the Rangers. I grew up with the Rangers, and so getting Buddy Bell cards and Toby Harris and Jim Sunbergs and Jeff Burrows. Uh, yeah, Jeff Burrow, all those guys. And I pretty much would collect packs. They would all get rubber banded by team, typically. Yeah. 
and thrown. I used shoe boxes were, were my storage. Yeah, I did that. Choice, right. Uh, which was terrible for the cards. And I didn't pull any out, but I have, I guarantee you, I still have cards that I bought in 1981, just like you do. What's so amazing to me that some of these vintage cars from the fifties and, and you can even go into some of the Bowman's in the late forties, that they're so nice that people thought to keep them in great shape. But I think sometimes we're so overcritical on cards, like, Oh, yeah. it's a little off. It's like, dude, it's from 1949. Right. And look how good it looks. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm on a streak of having my dogs be a total pain in my butt during video shoots. Um, uh, you don't want to talk about pain in the butt dogs. I got this puppy. I don't know if you've seen him on any of my videos, but so that shows you don't watch my videos. I do. <laughs> I do. Apparently, uh, you don't. Apparently, I don't. I'm. I'm a. We have a 12 week old golden retriever because we put our other one down in July. He's he's so cute and he's so freaking bad right now. It's like he's torturing our other dog. He's it's like navigating. He just doesn't pee in one spot. He walks through the house to pee. It's like this whose idea was this? Which it was mine. Like <laughs> oh, it's like uh huh. <sighs> well, okay, back to formative years. Yeah. Uh, so, do you remember? So we obviously we all we both share, and I think again this was a common thing to have kind of that retail experience where you're going into a store and you're buying packs of cards. Yep. I too didn't buy boxes of cards. One thing that happened to me a lot, especially starting in the mid eighties, you, you were already out, so to speak of the hobby, but yeah, dude, I remember I, I bought so many Slurpees just to get the coins at the bottom. Okay. Um, it felt like Fleer was coming out with these little box sets, like almost all the time, like star hitters and, star this star that you know and you know all of that star stickers clear star stickers which started in 81 uh i bought those like crazy because they were cheaper and so i could get more i didn't care i didn't care anything other than what can i buy what can i afford with my lunch money or whatever it is that i was using to buy cards back then if it was a baseball card or baseball something i wanted it were you the same way in the 70s with uh hostess products okay so yeah we go into the grocery store and i'll flip in the back of twinkies or ho-hos to see which players on there absolutely and kellogg cereal um god it wasn't even just baseball cards you know there was always prizes and cereal and it was like yeah what prize is that and but i totally remember getting the hostess boxes and I didn't pull any of those out, but you should see some of the cut shots I've done on those. Yeah, <laughs> I bet they're pretty, pretty crooked. <laughs> pretty bad. I did the same with. I, I remember distinctly, Kraft macaroni and cheese had cards. I yeah, want to say, I actually have a panel over here. Um, oh, right here. I got it. This was in a in the basement collection. But these were on okay. the back of a Kraft macaroni and cheese. Now, what year going, was that? This was 87. Okay. Mike Schmidt, oh. Don Mattingly. Yeah, I definitely back. would not have been looking for those. Like I could, and I was, I got really good at cutting these out actually. Um, 
and they're terrible car. Like there's no logos, you know, right. but I would look, I'd do the same thing. I'd turn around the box on the shelf and, Oh, I don't have that guy or I don't have that tandem. And I would buy that box to try to complete the set or whatever. Even back then I was always a completionist. Like I want to have all of them. Yeah. So and I, I remember for you, uh, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. You remember? No, no. I was going to move on. So if you got something else to say, I was going to. So my brother's a year younger than me, and he was heavily involved with the cards as I was as a kid. And he hasn't looked at a baseball card in 40 years, I bet. And I know you're a twin, so you're obviously close in age. But was your brother into cards? And is he still? I know he was a a baseball player, as you were. But, like, my brother, like, he just lost interest, and, and I didn't for some reason. Is it the same with you, or is he actively involved, too? He's not. I mean, he appreciates it. Like he watches yeah. my videos. He watches Chasing Cardboard. He thinks it's cool. And he he was a Will Clark guy. I was a Daryl Strawberry guy as a kid. And he was Will Clark. So you, now we're dating ourselves. You know, now we're late 80s, right. right? So we're into high school. And I would always want to go to the card shops and buy cards. And I think he did it. He could only be the one to answer this. But I would guess he did it just to kind of play along. I don't know how much passion he had for it. And then as an adult, he's dabbled in it a little bit, like getting back in. He he went to Vanderbilt, so he'll buy David Price and Dansby Swanson and, you know, Vandy guys. And But the reality is he's not – obviously, it's not nearly close to me. He's actually okay. going to the National with me next year. He's like – he? watched some. Yeah, he watched some videos of this huh? year's cool. National, and he said, you guys just look like you're having so much fun. Would it be okay – like, would I cramp your style if I came to the National in Cleveland? And I said, no, it'd be. Oh, sorry. I didn't, yeah, there didn't put my phone on Do Not Disturb. But uh, he is coming to the National. I said, you probably wouldn't want to be there more than a couple days. You'll get bored, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, y'all are having so much fun. I want to be a part of that. I want to see that for myself. Yeah. And I'm like, sure, come on. We'll have fun. He absolutely will. I'm telling you, Mike, last year not going, and I just couldn't go. But it, it sucked. Like, <laughs> like not, not so much people in the show, the cars. I didn't miss that so much. But just, you know, like your thing and, and the next one with, um, oh crap, why am I drawing a blank? Filmington? No. Well, yeah, Filmington, but what's his name normally there? The Yankee fan in New Jersey. Ah. Uh, Silver Jackify? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't he wasn't there this year either. Oh, okay. But that part was tough. And there were so many new guys that like I've, you know, I've talked to and I haven't met. I'm like, this is the this is the hard part of watching this. I'm like, I'm jealous. But well, you get to go next year. I know you're going yep. next year. Yeah. And I'm already got my room. You'll get to meet my brother. He's got his room. He bought his plane ticket. Like he's coming. So well, that's cool. But so let me ask you about your brother. Mm-hmm. Is like, does he even know what you're doing? Like, does he know how your collection has evolved and grown? And does he even care? Does he ever come over and want to look at stuff and remember? Not things? really. It was funny because I, I showed one of my older brothers a room, and I have a few items from them when they were a kid. Like, I have this Pirates pennant from the 1960 World Series, and I'm like, "Tell me about this." And he's like, "I don't remember how we got it. We <laughs> just always had it in our house." Like, really? Like, there's no story. Um. So he knows, like, my brother was a huge Willie Stargell fan growing up. 
and a long time ago, I gave him an autograph. And I'm like, you can keep this till the day you die, but you can never sell it. Where now I'm kind of like, you can sell it. <laughs> autographs for a dime a dozen. But I didn't know that back then. There's your son. Yeah. Uh, you want to come on? Nope. Nope. All right. Have fun. Uh, but, um, okay. Yeah. So, so, and he has three daughters. And so he's just, although my son doesn't care either about cards. So, so if you think back to us opening packs, we were obviously interested in the current players for our favorite teams and all that stuff. Do you remember like going to your first card shop and that experience and the feeling, maybe not even the first one, but just those early experiences of going to the card shop i remember the very first vintage card i bought at a little card shop because this is probably me getting back into it after i'd stopped around the late 80s early 90s and i didn't know anything about vintage just what i had so wait you didn't go to card shops in the set late 70s there weren't any no okay. I, I couldn't drive like I, you know i was only 12 years old, 13 years old. There weren't any card shops. And if there were, I didn't know about them. And my parents weren't driving me to them. Okay. So it was probably my early 20s, to be honest, the first time I went to a card shop. And I know the first card I bought was a 1960 Tops uh, Bill Mazeroski. I paid $10 for it. It's probably a two or three if I were to have it graded. But you still I went have to it? Other, what's that? You still have it? I do. Nope. You should grade that just for giggles. Like, yeah, that uh, yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of that. Damn, Mike's coming up with a lot of good points tonight. But uh, I remember going into this other card shop, and I was so overwhelmed. I was just like, I, I don't know what to buy. I don't know what player to get. I, I don't know anything about vintage. And I don't think I bought a card that day because I just walked out. My head was spinning. This is pre-eBay or and um, and then there was another card shop I used to go to. This guy was on my route. I used to be a pharmaceutical rep. And he, he would actually put cars on layaway for me. Yeah. And every time I went up there, I'd give him a little bit of money. And and I still have some of the cards I bought from him and got graded. And, uh, you know, it was still, that was my only way to get cards. I don't think people, you go to a card shop today and it's pretty glitzy relative right. you know it's well lit it's you know everything's organized oh yeah back in the it's 80s like, the card shops that i went to were gringy dark guys in you know the dudes sitting back there smoking a cigar smoking yeah, a right. cigarette yeah they, they were dogs yeah and everything you know all the holders were yellowed even back then like they were oh. already from either the cigarette smoke and you would. And I thought that was normal. I didn't think anything about it. I'm yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I probably still have some of them down there if I looked yeah. hard enough. Yeah. I mean, I remember the all the boxes in this card shop. So it would just be stacked along the wall. Not and, hobby boxes, but boxes of commons, boxes of cards, right? Yeah. Just sitting there being ready to for somebody to look through and see what jewels they could find, you know? And then they, he'd pull out his packet, look at the price for it. But okay. Is a range, yeah. And Beckett was in its infancies. You know how to, early eighty. I don't remember going to card shops. Probably till mid eighties would probably be when I started going to card shops. Which you was, actually went before me then, because it was late eighties for me. Yeah, and but it was still, you know, there'd be the showcases and you'd see the vintage and you'd always we always 
I think everybody loves vintage. It's just, can we afford vintage, you know? And I certainly couldn't at that time, but I remember seeing cards and longing for them, but going, okay, I'll take, you know, a pack of 84 Donruss or 83 tops or whatever. And, you know, kind of resigning myself to only buying current stuff because I couldn't afford the vintage. Yeah, but I was junk card, the junk wax card era came out. There were car shops everywhere. Yeah. Every corner was popping up with places. I still drive by today and I'm like, I remember there was a car shop that used to be in there. They were everywhere. So I do that too. I could drive you just in Fort Worth to six or seven locations where at one time there was a, a car yeah. shop. Yep. Same here. Yeah. Um, and I miss those days, honestly. I mean, I I miss, especially starting to get into the 90s when cards became super popular. This is kind of beyond my formative years, but still early enough in the process that I remember seeing autograph cards. And once the 90 upper deck Reggie Jackson came out, you know, Chase the Reggie and that, oh my gosh, you can get autograph cards this way, you know? Um, but the, before I get too deep down into the newer stuff, I say newer, new, past our formative years. The right. question I want to ask you is during those formative years, I think, again, as I said in the beginning, we learned a lot just by kind of trial by fire. You know, there weren't any cool resources like they have now to learn quickly. And so it took a long time to learn. Do you remember when you kind of knew all the, what all the vintage sets were like by sight or do you still have trouble with that even now? <laughs> I'm good from 1947 up. I know those cards by sight, unless it's so rare. The 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 pre-war, you know, unless it's T205, T206, Cracker Jack, and I can't even tell you the difference between 15 and 16. No. Like, you know, all those caramel cards. And I, I showed a card on a video the other day, and I, I literally, you know, read the flip and like that's the only reason i know what this card is <laughs> because you know i'm not like dave or mangini or you know these vintage guys orlando i just don't know that stuff and i probably never will to be honest um but i can just say i i remember i remember i was in easily my mid-20s late 20s even before i could you could quiz me and put a card in front of me of, of the major top sets donra sets right that you could go here's this card what year is it and absolutely for the longest but, time 66 and 67 would confuse me yeah you know, i agree they still do a little bit but um there were definitely some years that i would oh i think that's around this but I, by my mid-20s was when i would tell you i, I still could get confused that. on 51 and 52 bowman yeah to this do day. Now. and i'm like okay the first one had the autograph the second one you should know who they are Right. That's how I have to, that's in my mind, that's how I think of, but I still get confused on that. But, um, you know, what's funny is, and I was talking to um, John Wade Box fan last night, because we have a guest coming up for our next show. He was talking about the 78 Jim Cott that he really wants. In my mind, I instantly could see that card. I'm like, yep, Phillies profile, you know. And I could tell you every scrub that played from 76 to probably 80 because of their cards. Where today, I'm like, uh, I don't know anyone that plays for Tampa, or you know, I know the right. star, but I, you know, you could go through those sets, and especially like '76, you name a guy, I'm like, yep, I know what that card looks like. That's an interesting point. 
I bet you, especially on the Hall of Famer, certainly not on the on the common guys, but you could go now and say 58 tops Willie Mays. I know I can yeah. Blue background. Picture, yep. I can instantly picture that card. Right. And I can do that a lot now. Whereas when I was a kid in those formative years, I wouldn't have again been able to even tell you the year. I would if I was guessing and got it right, maybe. But I always remember 1960 because it was horizontal, right? So that was easy to kind of burn into my brain as to, okay, if it's turned over, it's 1960. So that was pretty easy. But other, you know, but now tell me, say a card and I would be able to tell you what it looks like, what the picture is, what. Yeah, 62 is, Clemente. What's which year? 62 Clemente. So he's, it's about waist up shot. He's holding a bat. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cut off the thing. Made. I'm not good at. Like I know the fronts, the backs. I do not. You could fool me. I'm putting some backs up. There's a few years I'll know, but yeah, you could get me. I've actually gotten to the point where I know the backs now, yeah. and that's kind of weird. But it's only because I've again, it just takes time, right, and experience, and the pre-war stuff. Just like you, gets me a little. Even I'll get confused. I remember on a, a video. Do people not know I'm recording? No. Um, Apparently not. When I remember, even on a video recently with Chasing Cardboard, I was looking at a T207 and I called it a T205 or something. Like I I knew what it was. I And I really did because I have one of the cards. Like I know what year it is in the moment, though. That's one that has the brownish background, right? Yep. Brown background. Yeah. And so sometimes even in the moment with pre-wars, uh, not really with normal vintage, but pre-war, man, I'll just be like, I'll blank, you know, or oh, yeah. misspeak, not intentionally, not trying to mislead anyone or anything. I just goofed. Um, it's just, you know, we didn't start out in pre-war. We're post-war guys. Right. You know, so, you know, we've kind of mastered that and now we're dipping our toes in pre-war where other guys, you know, have been, you know, enough said cards, Andrew, they've been dealing with that stuff forever. So they're experts on that. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, yeah. we don't know it. It's so good what? to know but, people that do. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So we had these shopping, we had retail experiences and we had shop experiences. What about your first show? Do you remember your first card show? Hmm. I stumped you. You did. I'm trying to think because I didn't go to a lot of them. I think they were like mall shows, probably. Okay. Yeah, probably. You know, or small hotel shows in the area. You know, maybe 20 tables or so. Um, where I got a lot of cards. I worked for a guy who owned a card shop. So he used to hook me up with a lot of stuff. And it's, you know, he'd pull this stuff out of the back room. And, and it was his side job. And uh, we'd go to... The Rangers probably have it too. It's called Pirates Fest. Mm -hmm. Rain, we have Fan Fest. Rangers. Yeah, Fan. same thing. You know, so you'd, he'd have a table set up down there, and I'd help him work it. I didn't have anything to sell. I'd just hang out with him. So those are probably, you know, it wasn't anything like the national, or obviously, or you know, I, I didn't go to one until you pretty much strong armed me to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad you, you did. Best glad decision you of did. your life. What are you kidding? Uh, who are you kidding? Right. I remember card shows for me in the late eighties, early nineties being kind of this once in a while experience that 
the mall shows, the, the, like you said, the hotel shows were, were pretty common. I would go to those from time to time, but I remember going to a show with 20 bucks and thinking, man, I can't wait to see what all I can buy. You know, right. uh, now it costs $20 just to get in the door. And sure. back then it might be 50 cents or whatever admission back in the day. And I, but I did, I did go to the national in 1990 and I remember, I just remember Texas it back then. What's that? Was it in Texas? In yeah, it was in Arlington. It okay. was over by where the Rangers and Cowboys are. And, but back then to me, it was just another show. I didn't, you know, think, Ooh, it's the national. I mean, I'm 16 years old at the time. Right. Right. So I went with uh, a buddy of mine, James and his uncle, Jerry, and Jerry was actually, believe it or not, Jane, my buddy James and I, we've been friends forever. He collected Ricky Henderson back in the day. I was still on my Daryl Strawberry kick. This is right before I became a Juan Gonzalez guy. And uh, I was looking for Daryl Strawberry cards all the time at any show I would go to. Because back then, there, like you said, there's no eBay. So if you couldn't find it at a show or a shop, you weren't going to find it. There was no look everywhere in the world and find anything you want at that time. Yeah, no doubt. And I would just buy multiple. I'd had, I don't know, 500 1989 tops Daryl strawberries just because every time I'd see one, it'd be a nickel and I'd buy it or whatever. Right. And that was probably silly. I still have all of those. Too. <laughs> My Daryl strawberry collection would be like a giant stack here. <laughs> um, it's almost a 3000 count box, believe it or not. Really? So what I think is cool about your formative years, you you talk about a little bit, but not a lot, that your dad was a cameraman for the Rangers. So that gave you and your brother access to players or former players. And and I think that's that's awesome. That had to add added to your love of baseball, being able to meet some of these people. No question. But did you have access to memorabilia or cards or anything? Not really, and it didn't. It wasn't a big deal back then. Uh, everybody's heard the stories of my dad taking cards and getting them signed by the likes of right. Killebrew and Rizzuto and guys like that. But those were you. Those were not like everyday kind of things. Um, I would go hang out in the clubhouse before the game, but to think to have memorabilia like that wasn't wasn't a big deal. So I didn't really consciously think about that. I was a kid. You know, I was a teenager, so. It just, it was just cool to be there. You know, I was were you able to, to go in the clubhouse and the dugout and stuff or just yeah. up where your dad was? So Both. You free reign pretty much. Pre, pre, I had free reign. I knew Arlington Stadium pre, this is pre Globe Life Field, you know, the ballpark in Arlington, the old Arlington Stadium. Man, I knew that place like the back of my hand and it right. smelled terrible. You know, it always smelled like stale soda and popcorn beer. and beer and, uh, but I, would, I, I knew they were all chewing back then, probably. Exactly. You could smoke in the stadium, you know, right. I mean, just crazy stuff that we wouldn't even think about today. Um, yeah, I, I, but I didn't think about the other parts of it. I just liked the experience, you know. Go ahead. You talk for a minute. Okay. So Mike's going to get me a, a new card that I can't wait for him to show me. I wish. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I, but, all you did was turn, shut the door. They shut your dog up? No. That's pretty impressive. It just makes it easier to not hear them. Right. Uh, so I know your dad's been retired a long time, but are there still people, maybe guys that were young when he was 
finishing that are older now that are still with the Rangers or, or his connections all gone pretty much. That's pretty much all dried up. Um, he'll go to the occasional like reunion of the TV guys, but yeah, they're not there to talk about the sport. They're there right. to talk about their careers. Yeah. Um, he was good friends with Jim Sunberg. Okay. So, but if I see Sunberg, he still knows who I am and Hey, how's your dad? You know, oh, that's which cool. is really weird. Cause I, you know, I'm a, I was a kid back then. Right. He, uh, yeah, he just, he kind of left. He wasn't a fan of the sports. Yeah. That's made, him a, made him a really good cameraman, but how did he get involved in that? And I know we're getting off, but I just find yeah. that interesting. Um, so when he, when the Rangers first started, he was a young, hardworking guy working at a television station, a local television station here in Dallas, Fort Worth. And he got the opportunity. Somebody said, hey, the Yankees are like back then, the not every game was televised. Only occasionally the Yankees had pretty much every game televised, even on the road. So when the Yankees would come in, I can't maybe the White Sox from Chicago, you know, some bigger Boston when they would come in, they would televise the games here. And so my dad started just by getting asked one day, Hey, we need some local guys to come do this whole baseball thing. And he started it like in 72, 73, like when the Rangers started, he was one of the first guys and he did that all the way through the mid nineties. Um, I, my big times of going with him were, uh, probably 80 early eighties through the through 1990 ish. Uh, so I, I got to go, but the Rangers were terrible, but I did get to go to 50 or so games a year right? and kind of go wherever. So he just kind of grew into that. And eventually the best camera to have is high home. There's cameras, you know, back then there were three cameras. There was high home, a center field, which was usually way off center. Like it wasn't like it is now where it's more aligned with the pitcher. And then they had one of the bases. They had a, a, either a first base or a third base. And he started out as just basically kind of washing, washing dishes, you know, kind of work and then worked his way to cameraman and ultimately became the high home guy for this whole era. Like he would do every game high home. That's the, that's the one you have to be the most, uh, you have to be on your game because it goes to that shot. So many, if you watch a, a broadcast of, of you say high home, is that on the catcher and the batter? It's, it's above, it's up in the booth with the announcers. It's called okay. a high home. And it's the shot looking down at the diamond. Every time a ball is hit, they go to, oh, high okay. home. I got you. And either he's focusing on an outfielder about to catch a ball, an infielder ground, fielding a ground ball, turning a double play, whatever that was his shot. And so it was super critical to the flow of the game. So he would actually run camera. Like you have a viewfinder right in front of you showing you what your camera is looking at, but he would actually watch the game with his head to the side. He would watch the game live and move the camera because he would be watching more than what was just within his viewfinder. So he He's got watching. so good that he didn't even need the viewfinder. Correct. He, he never could just used the, the camera and knew it was right. That's he right. Did it for so long. That's and he would be, you know, because you not only are you pointing at the right thing, you have to focus it. Like this was pre-autofocus. Like, yeah, 
you focused with a wheel on your hand, believe it or not. You, your left and right hands were like holding like a like a yoke on a uh, like like you're riding a horse or something. You're holding two handles, moving this giant camera, you know. And I'm sorry, I'm really getting in the weeds here too, but uh, it was right, it was cool, fascinating. It was cool to watch him work because he would be standing like you know face you know head away from the viewfinder, headset on, listening to the director or whatever, and okay, ready to go to, and he'd be, you know, on his shot, you know, the director's barking orders and whose camera's going to be up. And uh, I found it fascinating too, by the way, just like you do. And he was so good at it. Like he, he was asked to travel all over the country for big games because everybody wanted Palmer to run high home. He Would was he do so non-Ragers good. games? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Games, the Road Series games? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then he did Mavericks, Cowboys, you know, he did – he traveled. Oh, no, he didn't just do baseball. No, he did all sports. And I got to go to all of them. Uh, as a kid in basketball during the Mavericks, the, the 80s Mavericks with Mark Aguirre, Rolando Blackman, they were really good. And uh, I was the guy sitting under the goalpost during the games holding a mic when you could hear their feet squeak, you know, creak, creak. That was a goalpost in a basketball game. Yeah. Yeah. Goalpost? I mean, uh, <laughs> Basket. Sorry, basket, <laughs> the goal, uh, the basket. <laughs> so I would sit under the basket and hold this microphone uh, to get all those extra sounds that they wanted to add to the broadcast. So anyway, those were all formative years for me, too. No question. Absolutely. Just not collecting formative years, more life experience formative years. Oh, man. Well, we've just about run out of time. Um, I know. But see, that's that's awesome, Mike. Like, I have cards you got to see these players up close and be on the court or in the stadium or in the dugout. That's something that many of us never had the opportunity to do. So that's a great part of your formative years. That, you know, yeah. fortunately your dad did something like that and, and you, you and your brother were able to take advantage of it. That's, that's awesome. I do recognize that I was very, I had a very blessed childhood that way. Yeah. And it was, it was hard work too. You know, it wasn't like we just sat, I didn't just right. sit there. Right. I, I, I worked there too. I was a runner and doing other things, but so what? How yeah. much fun would it be working there versus cutting grass or something? Or, you know, you know, flipping burgers or anything right. like. Yeah, that was a good, a good childhood job. Let me tell you. Um, so, Don, as always, man, I loved chatting with you. It's always yeah, so much fun just to just to shoot the bull and talk through stuff. This was a great topic, and I appreciate you being a part of it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Don't wait another year to invite me. Another year. It's been almost a year, brother. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, that's all I, right. I know other people pass me up. No, no, no. Mike, he's a good friend, and I, I, I'm always appreciate it when you invite me. Uh, I love you, man. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for watching again this week. We'll, we'll be with you next week for another episode. Take care and keep collecting. <laughs>